0: Hi, this is Jillian Walker, and you're listening to Week 7 of the Falls Creek Podcast. The speaker this week was Wade Morris. Hey, if you've got a Bible, let's go there. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible or Bible app, hopefully somebody around you has one. They'd love for you to look at it with them. Mark chapter 8. We'll start in verse 22 here in just a second. Let me just say, as you're kind of getting settled in there, I'm super excited to be here. I've uh, been anticipating this for a while. For those of you who don't know, my name is Wade. I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, <laughs> roll tide to you. Uh, I tell people a couple things just so you can get it right off the bat. Number one, I talk fast. It's not a nervous habit. My life has been changed by Jesus, so you're going to see I really enjoy doing what I do. Uh, and I've always found that if I talk fast, you listen fast. We always get here, out of here quicker. Amen. Uh, number two, I don't wear shoes when I preach. It's not that big of a deal. I've got socks on. I'm not a complete Alabama redneck. Uh, But God got my attention with the whole standing standing on holy ground thing a long time ago, so I don't wear shoes when I preach. If that offends you, I actually don't care at all. Um, Which leads to the third thing is, and I tell people this all the time, and just hear my heart when I say it. Uh, I didn't grow up in church, and when I say that, the first time I ever entered the doors of a church in my whole life, uh, I was 13 years old, and without any disrespect at all, it was one of the oddest places I'd ever been in my life. And it wasn't just because of the situation, it was, I had friends like you coming up to me at school going, Wade, you gotta come to our church, it's the greatest thing ever. Wade, please come to our church, it's the coolest thing ever. And I showed up in a room with 2,000 people with the saddest faces I'd ever seen in my entire life, with the most bored looks I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm well aware that like now that I'm an adult, people come up and say, yeah, but Wade, you just gotta know like, church is for hurting people too. I'm good with that, but you really don't have to hurt every Sunday of your life, does that make sense? Dude, every once in a while when Jesus changes you, you get excited about it, and that's kind of how I approach approach this and have fun in the process. Listen, I'm married. My wife's named Deborah. You'll hear stories about her. I've got two daughters, Eden and Trinity, and it's interesting because I've always said, listen, they're four years apart. Eden is 16 years old. Trinity is 12 years old, and because of that, it's an interesting dynamic. In other words, in one moment, they're best friends, and in a millisecond, they just can't stand each other. And it's interesting because the older one is always trying to baby the mother one and the younger one, and she doesn't like that that much. And it's, it's kind of an interesting concept to watch, but I was thinking about it not just the other day. Uh, they're both into volleyball. And when I say that, Eden, my oldest, is into indoor volleyball. She also plays beach volleyball. And she's the one that has to try harder than everybody else. And when I say that, my youngest daughter is probably more natural of an athlete. And so because of that, everything becomes easy. My oldest, Eden, is the one that's not a natural athlete, so she works harder, practices harder, and she always ends up being one of the best people on the team, but she's got to work hard. It was interesting because this past season was kind of pivotal for her because she went to tryouts for the school, and when she got done, they, the coach told her, listen, we have a GF, JV team and we have a varsity team, and they ha- they picked both teams, but they said to three girls, my daughter being included, they said, listen. Three of you are good enough to be on the varsity team, but you're going to be on the lower tier. So if you come to the varsity team, you're not going to play that much, but you're going to get a chance to be with the team. If you go to the JV team, you'll probably be the best people on that team, and you'll play a lot. And the coach said, I'm going to give you the choice on what you want to do. Well, my best friend's a college basketball coach, so I called him up and said, hey, man, what should we do? And he said, listen, sports is all about repetition, You've gotta do it over and over and over again. So if she's gonna play more on the JV team, you've gotta get her ready and let her go do that. And that's what she did. And it was a great season, but her JV season ended before the varsity season was over. And she came home from practice one day, and this is what I call maximizing the moment. She comes home from practice and she says, hey dad, he called the three of us up to the varsity team. And she goes, what he said was they got two more matches, They're going to go to the regional tournament. Hopefully, they'll get to the state tournament. And he said, we're not going to play at all, but he wants us to be with the team, get into repetition of what they're doing. We're just going to root them on, and in the end, it's going to be okay because we'll know better next year what the varsity team is all about. I said, okay. We started to drive, and I looked at her, and I go, but let me ask you a question as a dad. What are you going to do to prepare in case he does put you in? She looks at me and said, well, I just told you. The coach said, we're gonna come up, but we're not going to play, so I don't need to worry about that. I go, well, maybe you didn't hear what I just said. What are you gonna to do to prepare in case he does put you in? She said, maybe we're, not, we're missing this conversation. I said he's not going to let us play. He told us that, but I don't need to prepare. And I looked at her and said, no, no. What are you gonna to do to prepare in case he does put you in? Okay, dad, I'll practice. And it was interesting, because for the next two matches, I went, and she did exactly what the coach said. Literally just sat there and clapped her team on. Then all of a sudden, they get to the regional tournament. She's still sitting on the bench. It's fine. That's what we were expecting. And then all of a sudden, they were down to that pivotal moment. If they win this last game, they get to go to the state playoffs. And I see her sitting on the sidelines. We're rooting the team on. They're down four points. It's about to all be over. And all of a sudden, he puts my daughter in to serve it out. And she ends up standing up there, ready for the moment, and she served five straight to send them to the state playoffs. Hear me when I say this to you. The great thing for me is not that she made it to the state playoffs. It's not even that she served and did good. The best part about it for me was, as soon as we got in the car, without me saying a word, she looked at me and said, okay, dad, you're right. And it was that moment that I looked at her and said, and I will always be right. It's interesting because I found out in life, literally, very seldom are we ready for the moment. Very seldom are we ready for it spiritually. Are we, are we ready for it in real life? And the idea of this life, even spiritually, is to be ready for what God has for you. It was interesting, it wasn't too long ago, that I was thinking about my life verse. It's interesting. 1 John two six four. 4. If you claim to live in him, you must walk as Jesus walked. It's one of the most emphatic verses in all of Scripture. You don't have an option to think about it. You can't choose to do it one day and choose not one day. If you claim to be a Christian, you must walk as Jesus walked. So I decided to do a study through the Gospels on how Jesus walked. Who did he talk to? How did he act? What did he do? And I started to follow his life, and one thing that sticks out when you read the scripture, is Jesus did miracles when he was on this earth. Literally would make the blind see, would make the lame people cripple. They would get up and they would walk. And as you study the miracles of Christ, almost all of them are done in the same way. In other words, he says the word and instantly they were healed. He touches them and instantly they were healed. And the same pattern happens almost every time until you come to Mark chapter 8. And I remember when I saw this, I thought maybe this could be a good place for us to be and to start this week of Falls Creek. So I want to show you this. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22, it says it like this. They came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man, and they begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, he led him outside the village, and when he had spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him, and Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Now just put your finger there and look at me for a second. Because I didn't grow up in church, I just think differently sometimes. And I remember seeing this. A guy's totally blind. Jesus spits on his eyes, do you see anything? I see people, they look like trees walking around. In other words, I remember thinking the first time I read this, how do you know what people look like? Like, how do you know what trees look like? But what you start to figure out is, This guy's eyes are still blurry. I see people. They look like trees, but I see people. It goes a little bit further. It says this. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And then Jesus sent him home saying, don't go back into the village. It's an interesting set of verses, but students, here's the deal. When you read it, you've got to slow down long enough to study it because he did this healing different than all the other ones. It's almost as if when Jesus did this healing, that maybe he was distracted. It's almost like he was just walking by and they said, Jesus, could you touch this man? And he spits on the man's eyes. Well, I see people, they look like trees walking around. It's almost like Jesus went, hey, you know what? I was thinking about something else. Let me put my hand on you again. And then he saw everything perfect. Here's the thing. It couldn't have happened that way. Because Jesus always gets it right the first time. But it's when you stop and look at this and think to yourself, well, then why in the world did he do it this way? What is it that he was trying to say? What is it was he trying to teach this man, any of us, that maybe we can learn tonight? And my hope is that our eyes will be open to see it. So if you're taking notes, write down just a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, act like you are because it makes you look holy when you do it. Amen. When you go through these verses, there's several words that stick out. When you start to see the first one, here's the first word. Number one, you see the word compassion. You see the word compassion because it's the first thing that happens. He says it like this. They came to Bethesda. They brought a blind man by the hand, and they begged Jesus to touch him. It's probably one of the most compassionate acts that you see in all the scripture. Because they came by, they brought a blind man by the hand, And they didn't ask Jesus to touch him. They didn't just kindly regard it. Here's the deal. They begged Jesus to touch this. Here's what it's all about. They weren't asking Jesus to heal their friend. They weren't asking Jesus to heal themselves. They weren't asking Jesus to heal a family member or somebody they're really close to. Literally, it's as if they found somebody and they had heard about Jesus having healing powers and they see this guy and they bring him by and it wasn't just an asking, Jesus, please could you do this? Please could you do this? We are begging you to touch this man and to heal him. And I remember when I started to see see that, I remember thinking to myself, it's interesting because today, we don't beg people to come to Jesus anymore. You ever notice that? There was a day, where we used to beg people to come to Jesus. There was a day where it meant something to us, really, for people to come to Jesus, but sometimes repetition gets so in our head that I see students rebelling. In other words, students, I get it. You hear the same thing from your youth ministers all the time. Read your Bible every day. You hear that all the time, and it's the right thing to hear, and it's the right thing to say, but it's repetition. It's the same thing. They're all going to say the same thing. Uh, Make sure you invite your friends to youth camp. Make sure you invite your friends to disciple now. Invite your friends to the YAC. And it's almost as if students hear that so much that they've just become numb to it and they don't do anything about it and they've lost their sense of compassion. I remember this past February, I was in North Dallas speaking at a church. And I remember this girl telling a testimony of that right there. She got up and said, I'm so sick and tired of hearing my youth minister to tell me to invite my friends all the time. She said, but he kept saying it. Invite your friends to D-NOW. Tell them to come to D-NOW weekend. Please invite your friends. She goes, do you know what I decided to do? I decided to invite two people from school that I didn't like. She said, I did that because I knew they weren't going to come, and I could go back to him and say, I invited two people, and they said no. The weird thing was She went to these two girls that she didn't like, and she said, you want to come to Disciple Now weekend? And they both said yes. They got to Disciple Now weekend. I started to speak on Friday night, and it was interesting because we saw 27 or 30 people saved. And I remember that girl telling me the story the next day where she said this. I asked two people to come to Disciple Now weekend, and it was weird, Wade. Both of them gave their lives to Jesus Christ. To the point to where I wanted to hear more about this story. I got done speaking on Saturday morning, and I'll still never forget it. I go out there, and I see this little 16-year-old girl talking to a bunch of people. And as soon as I, I go, hey, tell me who it was. Who was it that you asked to come to camp? And out of nowhere, I felt this woman slash girl or somebody come behind me and bear hug me and start to, like, hug me really tight. And I turn around and go, yo, chick, I'm married. Like, Chill. And it was interesting because here's what I heard when I turned around. There was a girl that was so excited, and she says, hey, Wade, can I say something to you? And I go, what's that? She said, this girl right here asked me to come to this camp or this Disciple on weekend, and last night you gave an invitation, and I gave my life to Jesus, and guess what, Wade? I go, what? She goes, and right there Sunday morning, I'm going to get baptized. And when I started to see that, you know what I started to think? <laughs> hey, students. Isn't it amazing what happens when you actually do what your youth ministers tell you to do every once in a while? The idea is we're living in a day where we've got to get out of, this is repetition, we've got to get back to where we are begging people to come to Jesus because it's the most important decision that anybody will ever make. But it's not only about compassion that makes a difference, but number two, if you're taking notes, the word completeness is there as well. It's kind of the crux of the verses. But here's what he says. He took the blind man by the hand. He led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? I see people. They look like trees walking around. So once again, Jesus put his hand on the man's eyes. His eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything crystal clear. Once again, why did Jesus do it that way? I mean, when I start to picture this and see it, He spits on the man's eye. Well, I see people. They look like trees, but I see people. Can I just say something? I'm pretty sure that guy is pretty pumped about that. He just went from no sight to some sight. That's a beautiful thing. But it's real interesting for me, because when I see this, his eyes are blurry. And all of a sudden, Jesus reaches out, touches him again, and his blurry eyes come completely clear. And I remember when I read that, here's what I thought. Students, I think Jesus did this healing this way to prove this point. There's a massive difference between what you want for your life and what Jesus wants for your life. Huge difference. Most of us are happy being halfway healed. We're happy with our eyes spiritually blurry. Most students today, if you're really honest, all you really care about is if you die tonight, you go to heaven. And by the way, that's the most important decision you're ever going to make in your life. It's legit. But that's where most students stop. Do you know for a fact if you die tonight, you're going to heaven? And that's all it is. But we've got to learn so much more than that. I remember a pastor in Georgia called me up to do a one-day harvest revival. It's about 800 people at his church, and he says this, hey, Wade, you're going to come in, and I'm going to make this real clear to you. We got a drama team. They're going to do a drama about the cross straight up salvation band straight up cross straight up salvation wade preach straight up cross straight up salvation we just want to see people saved i go bro i'm in listen the drama team was on point it was perfect the band unbelievable the spirit was there and i remember walking up to the stage in the mindset of please don't mess this up and i got up there and i was preaching The crowd was in it. We were ready to go. And I remember getting really into it. About 15 minutes into my sermon, I started to think. See, here's what most people don't realize. Pastors in here know this, youth pastors, speakers. I can think while I'm speaking. Most people's greatest fear is to stand in front of people and talk. So you can't think anything. Most preachers can actually think, have a whole conversation in their head, while they're looking at you, and yes, we do see everything, but it's interesting to me because I can look at you and go, okay, they're not getting this point. Hey, wait, in that second point, you need to change that illustration so it comes together. The problem is sometimes you think so far ahead that what comes out of your mouth is not what you want it to, but it's one of the dumbest things you've ever said in your life, and I remember 15 minutes into my sermon, here's what I was thinking. Wait, just get to the invitation, man. Just give the invitation, bro. The people are ready for it. Wait, all you got to do is say the magic phrase. Just ask them the question, do you know for a fact if you die tonight, you go to heaven? The problem was I got there, and I'm thinking so far ahead as I'm speaking. I got right there, and out of my mouth didn't come what I thought, and it completely messed up the entire service. I said something, and I remember looking at the pastor on the front row, and he just gave me that look you just totally messed up the whole service. The whole crowd knew it. They looked at me like, you just totally messed up the entire service. Because here I was, thinking ahead, do you know for a fact if you die tonight, you're going to heaven? Do you know for a fact if you die tonight, you're going to heaven? And this is what I said instead of that. I got to that place, and this is what came out. What happens if you don't die? Totally messed up the whole crowd. The whole crowd knew that I messed up. They were looking at me like, this is where you were supposed to virtually kill me right here. And here's the problem. Every pastor in here knows it. You, can't, you cannot dig out of that hole. It's not like I can stop and say, no, no, no. What I meant to say was, what happens if you die? You can't do that. It was the most awkward 30 seconds on stage I've ever had. The whole crowd looking at me funny. You've messed it up. And I remember looking at my Bible thinking, I need to come up with something to say. And I don't even remember how I came up with it, but I'll just say to you what I finally said to them. I just looked at them and I said, you know what? Let's just go down that road for a second. What happens if you don't die? Like seriously, what if by God's grace, you get a chance to wake up tomorrow? What's for you? And it was in that moment that I figured this out. We as preachers have spent so much time telling the church what happens when they die, we forgot to tell you what happens if you live. It's called Abundant Life Church. It's called Heaven on Earth. And the idea of what he's saying is, it's one thing to have spiritual blurry eyes, but the idea is, Jesus, I don't want to be halfway healed. I want all that you offer me. It goes from compassion to completeness. And the third thing is confrontation. It's a very quick verse, but that last little sentence, he says this in verse 26, and Jesus sent him home saying, don't go back into the village. It's interesting because if you see that, you go by it really fast, and you don't understand why Jesus is saying it. If you look at the passage, these men came to Bethesda, they brought a blind man by the hand, jesus took him by the hand and led him outside the village away from these people when he was outside the village away from these people he healed the man and this was his advice don't go back into the village see i'm from alabama we have what's called southern hospitality when i read this it bothers me because i think to myself why couldn't jesus had said this hey guys, listen, I've got this really good will for your life, and now that your eyes are opened, man, I'm going to use you. It's going to be incredible. But get this, you would have never had your eyes opened if those people hadn't loved you enough to bring you. So here's the deal. Go back and thank them, and then come to me, and I'm going to show you what you have for the rest of your life. It seems like it could have been done that way. But no, Jesus said this. "Mm, Hey, you know those people that are back in the village? Yeah, here's my advice. Don't go back to them. And I remember going, what? You see, a lot of times we forget that Jesus always knows the other side of the story. See, I deal with a lot of students that you have to know what's on the other side. What Jesus has asked me to do this way, but I'm telling you right now, I'm not sure what's going to... Here's the deal. By faith, sometimes you just got to trust that Jesus knows what he's talking about. Sometimes you just got to take a leap of faith, understanding that Jesus knows what's happening on the other side of that, but the problem is we need so much proof that we forget that Jesus knows all this. In other words, why did Jesus not tell him to go back? Why did he say don't go back to those people? Because Jesus knew if this man had gone back and said, guys, my eyes have been opened, here's what they would have said. (laughs) Yeah, right. You can't see. See, some of y'all are going to hear that next week. Some of you are going to give your life to Jesus Christ this week, and your whole countenance and life is going to change forever, and you're going to go back home, and if you have some friends the way I had growing up, you're going to go to your friends, and you're going to say, Jesus Christ changed me this week at Falls Creek, and they're going to look at you and go, yeah, right. We'll see if you're still living that life in two months. It's one of the worst things that you can hear. It's discouragement. Jesus knew that if this guy went back, he was going to be discouraged And once he had opened his eyes, he was saying, don't look back, forget about those people and let's move forward. And you say, well, hold on, wait, how in the world do you know that that's what Jesus was doing? You see, when you study all this, here's what you're going to find out. In Matthew chapter 11 and Luke chapter 10, about a month after this episode happened, Jesus pronounced judgment on the city of Bethesda for their lack of reception of his miracles. They actually didn't believe it was happening. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. And instead of telling him the whole story, here's what he said Don't go back into the village. Trust me. Because, students, here's what I found out. Sometimes one decision can change everything. And you say, What do you mean? I'll, I'll end it like this. I used to do a Bible study in Birmingham. Years ago, wasn't a youth minister to church. I just do this. I travel 200 days a year, going from church to church, conference to conference. But I wanted to stay grounded. There was this church I spoke at and did their youth camp for about three or four years. So I just told a bunch of students, hey, I'll meet y'all on Tuesday night so I can stay grounded. And we're just going to go verse by verse through a bunch of books of the Bible. And for four years, that's what we did. Went through six different books of the Bible. It was interesting because there was a lot of different students, but there were two of them that stuck out. I still can see them. They started with me in the ninth grade, and just for the sake of maybe changing a name or so, I would say it like this. Leah sat right here on my left. It was interesting because I nicknamed people. You'll notice that this week. I can never remember your name, but I can always remember a nickname. So I nicknamed Leah the Evangelist because she was the one that was pivotal and a lot of great stuff happening in that youth group. And you say, what do you mean? The first year I did that youth camp, they had about 120 students. Four years later, there was about 500 students going to that youth camp. The first year, we baptized about 27 students. The last year, we baptized like 87 students. And I'm willing to bet that 90% of all those decisions were because of Leah. She was that girl at school that was pivotal. She was smart, so all the nerdy people loved her. She was athletic. All the athletes loved her. I mean, she was super nerdy and weird, so the science fiction people loved her as well. And what was weird was she was that pivotal person that when I would tell her to invite people to camp, she would say, let's go, and 50 new people would sign up every time. And usually about 80% of them gave their lives to Jesus. So there she was every night, Leah the Evangelist. But on this side, on my right, it was interesting. Chandler sat there. I nicknamed Chandler, and I don't want you to take this in the wrong way. I nicknamed Chandler the drunk girl. Because she was the girl that every three months, I would have to say, what are you doing? Why do you got to go drinking with your friends all the time? Number one, it's against the law. Number two, you don't need to be doing it. And it was like I was stepping in as her dad. What are you doing, Chandler? Stop doing this. So that's just what I called her. And then little by little, for four years, we drew closer and closer to Jesus. There's an interesting set of verses, if you ever read in 2 Timothy. It says, physical physical discipline has value, but spiritual discipline has value not only in this life but the next. In other words, working out is good for you. Makes you feel better. Gets you prepared for some physical event. But here's what he says. But spiritually disciplining yourself has double value. They graduated high school, and I remember taking a bunch of them out to eat. And I remember sitting down, and I go, so what's next? And I'll still never forget hearing it. We're going to Turks and Caicos. And I looked at them, and I said this, don't do that. They go, what? No, man, it's our senior trip. What are you talking about, man? We're going down to the Caribbean. I said, do not do that. Oh, come on, Wade, it's just a trip. They do it every year. Listen, I know why you're going to Turks and Caicos. I'm not your parents. I know why you want to go to Cancun for spring break. Because the drinking age is 18, and you want to legally drink for the first time in your life. I said, listen to me. We've worked too hard spiritually for four years for you to go mess up your life for one dumb week. Leah started to argue with me oh, come on, Wade, it's not that big. Leah, don't do this. All of a sudden, Chandler looked at me and goes, "Uh, what are you doing that week? I go, what week? The week we're going on senior trip. I go, well, my wife and kids, it's right before I hit the summer, my wife and kids, we're going to go down to Destin, Florida, and just hang out on the beach. She goes, well, if I gave up my trip to Turks and Caicos, could I go to Destin with y'all? And I went, absolutely you can knowing that no 18 year old kid wants to hang out with some old dude his wife and two kids i get that the next day she texted me for real though if i give up my trip can i go with y'all to Destin?" i said for real though would love to have you the problem is the next day her mother called me she goes chandler said that you said that she can go with y'all she said wade you just need to understand." We've had a non-refundable $2,000 trip here, and she's wanting to give it up. Can she go with y'all? I go, absolutely. And as soon as I hung up the phone, I thought, I better call my wife now. Like, (laughs) we got to get my wife in the loop on this one, right? I call up my wife. She was like, absolutely. We love Chandler. It was so awesome. And I remember us driving four hours from Birmingham down to the beach. And when we get there, I looked at Chandler and said this. Hey, you're not here to babysit my kids. You're going to be part of the family. You're just going to do what we do, right? She goes, okay. Well, the next morning, of course, like every other high school kid, she wanted to sleep till 3 in the afternoon. So at 10 a.m., I was like, get out of bed. Let's go. She gets up. I go, go get your Bible. Let's go out on the balcony. And we would open our Bibles, overlooking the water and the beach, and we would just start to read. Spiritual discipline every day. We would go to the beach. I'm fine with laying out. Let's lay out. I got a pretty cool tan. But I looked at her and I said, hey, listen, while we're laying out, let's talk for a second. So let's, let's, let's get everything ready. You're going down to Auburn University? Fine. Let's talk about it. Are you going to join a church? Well, I don't know because I'll figure it out when I get there. No, if we don't figure it out now, you're going to not go. So let's talk. Discipline every single day. And I remember four days into this, out of nowhere, she picks up her phone and she looks at Instagram she looks at me and goes, I'm so glad I didn't go to Turks and Caicos. She goes, Wade, look what they're doing. Look what Leah's doing. And I looked at her and said, hey, listen, let's don't worry about them. Let's do our trip the way we do it. We got done with our trip. I remember She got back home and literally turned around and went back to the beach. It's good to go two weeks to the beach. And it was a few days later into their vacation that I got a text from her mother and it was a picture that Chandler was out on the balcony, had her Bible open and she was sitting down on the ground and her mother came over her and snapped a shot like that and this is what the text said. Thank you so much, Wade, for loving my daughter the way you love your own. I had to send you this picture because I've never caught my daughter reading her Bible ever. It was two weeks after that that I remember getting a text and it came from Chandler and this is what it said. Wait, I've been reading my Bible every day. I've been praying every day. And it's become crystal clear to me that I'm called to ministry. And I remember thinking to myself, isn't it weird how crystal clear you hear God speaking when you spiritually discipline your life? It's weird. But maybe 62 seconds later, because I counted, I got a text from Leah, the evangelist, and it was completely opposite. Her text said this, Wade, I'm having some bumps in the road right now. I'm really confused spiritually. Would you please pray for me? And I remember thinking, isn't it weird how confusing it is to hear God's voice when you don't spiritually discipline your life? And jump four years later. Actually, when I'm done with this camp, this Saturday, I'm preaching Chandler's wedding. She's marrying a Ford Ranger, an Army Ranger. She's called to medical missions. And can I be honest? I cannot wait to do that wedding. But watch what I'm about to say, and this is gonna end fast. But I didn't have a chance to do Leah's wedding because she got pregnant. Watch me. Students, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody messes up. But the decisions that you and I make, even this week, can change your life one way or the other. And just so you know, those girls know that I'm telling this story. Both of them, because they're both in my Bible study. Leah's husband is. And there's one thing I know for a fact. If Leah could stand on this stage in front of all 6,000 of you, this would be her sermon to you tonight. Don't go back into the village students once your eyes are open and you have seen Jesus don't ever turn back around trust him that he has amazing things for you and if we do that I believe we are gonna see a revival happen this week that Falls Creek has never seen amen Lord Jesus thank you so much for your grace and I thank you that you love us enough not only to speak to us through your word, but God, thank you so much that your spirit is in this place and we know it. So God, I ask that you would do amazing things this week. I ask that as our eyes are open, that we would see hundreds of students give their lives to Jesus. We'd see many adults give their lives to Christ. We'd see people called to ministry and everything in between because you have shown up in this place. God, thank you so much for a week like this. Allow our eyes to become crystal clear so we can see you and never turn back. So we love you and we thank you. So in the name of Jesus Christ we pray and we all say, thanks for listening.